Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about 536 AD. If you've listened to our last couple of episodes, you know I've been lately interested in the role that climate and infectious diseases might have played at key turning points in Chinese history. In the last two episodes, we talked about climate change during the Han Dynasty and the role that pandemics played in the Han Empire's decline and fall. Today, let's focus on a later time and one more matter related to climate and diseases that has also been intriguing me. The year 536 AD, or more specifically, starting in 535 and for the next decade or so. The Harvard historian and archaeologist Michael McCormack has described 536 as the worst year in human history to be alive. Frankly, human history has no shortage of times of horror, so there are many candidates. The years of the Black Death in Europe, for example, were obviously pretty terrible. The years of the Anxi Rebellion in mid-8th century China, a civil war that might have killed two-thirds of the Chinese population, must have been pretty awful as well. And surely you wouldn't want to be a Native American in the immediate aftermath of the arrival of Europeans in the late 15th and early 16th centuries, and consequently the arrival of smallpox. But 536 stands out in that the events that made it so terrible were reported globally. All over the world in the fateful year, observers noted with shock that it was a year without a summer. The Roman historian Procopius, then in Italy, campaigning with Justinian's army under the famed general Belisarius, wrote of the dread portent of a dimming sun. During the whole year, the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon, and it seemed extremely like the sun in eclipse, for the beams it emitted were not clear like those it usually makes. From the time when this thing happened, men were free, neither from war nor pestilence, nor any other thing that brings death. The Syriac Christian leader, John of Ephesus, reported, The sun darkened and stayed covered with darkness a year and a half, that is 18 months, although rays were visible around it for two or three hours a day, they were as if diseased, with the result that fruits did not reach full ripeness. All the wine had the taste of reject 
grapes. John Lydus or John the Lydian, a Byzantine bureaucrat, wrote: "If the sun becomes dim, because the air is dense from rising moisture, as happened in 536-537, for nearly a whole year, so that produce was destroyed because of the bad time, it predicts heavy trouble in Europe." Cassiodorus. A Roman statesman who served as Praetorian prefect in the government of Theodoric, the Ostrogothic king of Italy, was traveling on business in Constantinople at the time. He wrote a detailed account of what he saw, saying in part, "How strange it is, I ask you, to see the sun but not its usual brightness, to gaze on the moon." Glory of the night, at its full, but shorn of its natural splendor. We are all still observing a sun as blue as the sea. We marvel at bodies that cast no shadow at midday, and at the force of strongest heat reduced all the way to the impotence of extreme mildness. And this is not the brief absence. Of an eclipse, but as one that has taken place for nothing short of almost the whole year. We have had a winter without storms, a spring without mildness, a summer without heat. Farther afield, the picture was just as bleak. Annals reported famines in Ireland. In Scandinavia, entire areas were. Depopulated. Snorri Sturluson's Edda, the source of much we know about Nordic mythology, talks about a great winter that was to serve as the premonition of Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods, when the frost giants would triumph over the gods and bring a deadly winter over all things. Modern scholars. Through the study of tree rings and ice cores, have shown that temperatures in the summer of 536 fell 1.5 to 2.5 degrees Celsius, and what followed would be the coldest decade in the past 2,300 years. Oh, and maybe we ought to remember that the plague of Justinian, which was a mass outbreak of the bubonic plague, would begin during this time in 541. So, what happened? What caused this global blotting out of the sun? Sometime in 535 or early 536, somewhere in the northern hemisphere, a massive volcano erupted. Which volcano exactly and where? We're not sure. I've seen North America suggested as a possible location. A cataclysmic eruption is known to have taken place in Iceland in early 536. Krakatoa in Indonesia is a suspect, as is 
Ilopango in El Salvador? Or maybe the answer is all of the above. Maybe a whole lot of volcanoes blew up in quick succession, which was why the ash cloud could be so thick, the sulfate output into the atmosphere so large as to blot out the sun. And another eruption took place in 539 or 540, somewhere in the tropics, an event that left traces in both the North Pole and South Pole, exacerbating the problem. Meteor strikes were also possible as contributing factors. Now, you know what I'm going to do next. I am going to turn to records in China. What do they say about the events of 535, 36 and after? But let's set the background a little first, so we have some context. The early to mid-6th century in China fell within the period called North and South Dynasties. It was a time of chaos and division. There was no unified empire. Rather, numerous short-lived kingdoms, often founded by previously nomadic invaders from Inner Asia, ruled portions of China. In fact, funny thing, in today's Chinese films and TV programs, if the writers want to make a period piece, but also want greater artistic license, often they'll set the story during the North and South dynasties. This is because most educated Chinese have reasonable knowledge of the histories of all the great imperial dynasties. So there's only so much you can fictionalize without irritating your audience. That is not so with the North and South dynasties. So many different regimes came and went during this time, and they fought each other with such frequency and confusion that hardly any of us today can keep straight which kingdom was which and who was who and what they were fighting over anyway. Given the political background of fragmentation, historical sources from this time are also divided into different accounts of different kingdoms. But all right, what do they say? Intriguingly, both the Nanshi, or the history of the South, and the Liangshu, the book of the kingdom of Liang, report that on February 16th of 535, two loud crashes like thunder were heard from a southwesterly direction. I've seen some suggest that this thunder was in fact the sound of the culpable volcanic eruption. The kingdom of Liang had its capital in Nanjing, and Krakatoa in Indonesia, one of the suspect volcanoes, lies southwest from there. And it wouldn't be the only time when Chinese records noted a distant volcanic eruption. In another time, 
Chinese astronomers recorded an eruption in New Zealand. However, the date of February sixteenth of five thirty-five would make this eruption, if that's what it was, just a bit too early compared to the scholarly consensus of when the eruption should have taken place. After the thunders, the history of the South reports China went through a strange winter. Starting in November five thirty-five, there was yellow dust-like snow. The history of the South repeats this phrase in connection with the following winter as well, five thirty-six, yellow dust-like snow. So much so that you could scoop it up. Meanwhile, the Beishi or history of the North. Reports a terrible famine in 536 in the Guangzhou area, which is the southern portion of today's province of Shanxi. So terrible was the famine, the history of the North tells us, that residents in the area resorted to cannibalism, and in the end, 70 to 80 percent of them died. Back in the South, the Book of Liang and the History of the South both report frost in June, followed by snow in July and August of 537 in the city of Qingzhou, in what is now the province of Shandong, which destroyed the crops. Shortly afterward, in September and October of Five thirty-seven. Both sources report a great famine in Yanzhou, also in Shandong, presumably the result of the summer snow. In fact, for the entire year of five thirty-seven, both sources report famine conditions in the entire kingdom. Finally, there is the matter of. Canopus. Canopus is the second brightest star in the sky, second only to Sirius, and it occupies the southern sky, so that it is only visible from relatively southern portions of the northern hemisphere, including southern China. And in Chinese culture, Canopus carries great. Astrological significance. It is thought to be the god of longevity, imagined as a jolly old man. So much so that in Chinese, Canopus is called the Shoxing Longevity Star or the Lao Ren Xing, the Old Man Star. Well, I read in secondary literature that. Canopus was not visible from China at the spring and autumn equinoxes during these years, due to the ash cloud. I tried to verify this in the primary sources, and this is what I found: the Book of Liang obsessively records sightings of the Old Man Star 
during each equinox of each year. It does not explicitly report not citing Canopus. But since the records of Canopus sightings are so regular, it is fair to infer that whenever it fails to record a sighting during an equinox, the failure to record implies the failure to observe. Well, the book tells us that Canopus was seen in the spring and fall of 535. It was then seen in the spring of 536. It was not seen that fall. It was seen in both the spring and the fall of 537. But then it was not seen again for a whole decade. As you can see, I find this subject quite fascinating. Someone, a real historian, not me, should really go and write the definitive book on Chinese records from this time as a part of the global narrative on climate and how it has affected human history. Meanwhile, while we await this book, this has been MODG. I thank you all for listening.